Okay, welcome everyone to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm your host, Adam A. Donaldson, and joining me today is... Peter Wesley Salmon. Hope you are all doing good down in the 519-226-548. The new 548 I've heard about. I hope you're all also doing well. This just keeps getting more complicated, just throwing random numbers at people, doesn't it? Well, this is a Guelph radio. I think they'll understand what I'm talking about. The area codes. <laughs> I know, but it just feels like we're we're calling out numbers, almost like the the role of a of a twenty headed die, if you know what I mean. Uh, I see where you're going with this. <laughs> that was my intent. That was my intent all along. <laughs> we just roll. We just rolled a five four six or a five oh, four eight. Yeah. Uh, it's nice when things work out. Anyway. Uh, End Credits is a local movie show for local movie fans. We're here every Wednesday at 3 p.m. to talk the latest in pop culture and review the newest movies, which this week will be, if you hadn't guessed already, it is Dungeons & Dragons Honor Among Thieves, which you can now see at a theater near you. Number one movie at the box office last weekend. Uh, Made a princely sum for a movie about people stealing from lords. And, uh, yeah, so that's yeah, a fan. Uh, glo- Sorry, globally, go ahead. Globally over mm-hmm. uh, 70 million. And I honestly, uh, hadn't heard really much people, many people talking about it. So I was worried it wouldn't do well, but no, it even, uh, it made, I think over like 15 million more than uh, John Wick four. So it's, it's, I'm very pleased with the results. Uh, that's the global too. And I do know in Britain, they they love it. They love it so much out there. So interesting. Yeah. You know, it, it's interesting. Um, also, because you you said you hadn't heard a lot about it, but it, it's it's kind of like it's kind of been hard to miss on social media. Like they've been really doing with like the paid content. Yes, exactly. But I hadn't seen anything from just friends just or gotcha. just like random Twitter users. It was yeah. It was always from like a Hollywood Reporter or you know Paramount or whoever it is. Produced yeah. it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going to get into that in a bit. Uh, but for the first half of the show, we are going to talk about other fantasy movies that are worth your time seeing and fantasy, um, big, broad category. Uh, but to narrow it down, and I guess to make it harder in some respect, we took Lord of the Rings movies and the Harry Potter movies off the table, as well as anything tangentially connected to those. So, like, no Hobbit movies, no um, Fantastic Beast movies, although I'm not sure we get a lot of uh, a lot of people running down the door, running down the no. front door to get the Fantastic Beast movies. No, I can honestly say, even if uh, ex- not excluded, they would not, even if not excluded by you, they would be excluded from my list, absolutely. <laughs> especially uh, the news my goodness oh goodness yeah they not great not great bob all right uh why don't we get we'll just dive right into it um so we've each prepared three um hopefully no crossovers but we'll find out uh so peter why don't you talk about your first big fantasy movie Okay, so uh, I have no idea what it would have been for. Maybe we were focusing on ones that have to do with with disability or something, but I think this has already been on a list, but it's even more accurate for this. Uh, One of my favorite fantasies uh, at the time, critical acclaim, uh, been multiple adaptations, but the best one is 1993's adaptation 
of The Secret Garden, uh, mm-hmm. directed by Agnieszka Holland, uh, a Polish director, remarkable herself. And uh, yeah, The Secret Garden, I grew up watching it. I, I absolutely loved it. And uh, it, it's fantasy without a doubt. It, it's not medieval. You know, there's nothing like that. It's not like Lord of the Rings where it's set in a fictional country it's set in britain uh but the garden and what goes on in it and just its atmosphere is is fantasy absolutely what i loved about the secret garden and i think why it led me to really enjoy directors like david lynch even some of kubrick's uh it's very surreal it's very they have fun in the garden but just because of the colors and the the questions around it that you have towards the garden, it, it's a very surreal feeling. And I think that's why uh, the secret garden really stood out to me as a kid. Um, and I also just think the acting is, is outstanding in particular, uh, Maggie Smith. She's great. She's strict, but she's <laughs> remarkable in it. She really is. Uh, there's a couple of uh, YouTube um, compilations of her role in the film, uh, just, you know, getting mad at everybody and, and and you know being the boss which she is and she does it well um yeah it's just a remarkable film and i'm glad it uh, made all it did uh one thing as well um mm-hmm. and it's something that maybe because of this film i do focus on i love it uh all set in an actual uh garden uh all of the outside and inside was done in liverpool england uh mm-hmm. in particular yorkshire's Allerton Castle. So mm-hmm. you can just, you know, you could tell because of the beauty of the film and uh the how real it looks, because it is real, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, I would say my third favorite of fantasy films is 1993's The Secret Garden. Not to be confused with the little princess, which I think came out at roughly the same time as an Alfonso Coron movie. Well, and, and there is a 2020 uh Secret Garden, which apparently is okay. But uh, yeah, no, I'm not not referring to that one not to be confused with that one either um yes there is a 2020 secret garden with colin firth and julie walters yeah which is whatever i I find it very interesting (laughs) uh, because he's like the lead lead in it right whereas in the Mm -hmm. original there isn't like a lead male really at all Uh, the the main guy the wheelchair guys and it it, it, i forget the name of his character i shouldn't know i uh, i forget you know, he's not in it much in comparison to all the others, whereas the remake, it seems like a male dominant almost. So mm. very, very interesting. Very interesting indeed. Mm-hmm. All right. So that is The Secret Garden, and it is available to rent out there on the various uh, streaming platforms. Not available to stream, but you can... Uh, YouTube, uh, yeah. I would say it's it's the cheapest and most uh, accessible on there. Huh? Well, there you go. Um, like, you still got to pay, but like YouTube pay, which is like... I think (laughs) you still have to pay. Yes. Uh, Good note Uh, for my first pick. um, I went back to the sixties. I went back to 1964 for Mary Poppins, um, which I don't know if you were aware of like some of the reconsiderations of Mary Poppins and just like exactly what her, what, what she's kind of doing in this movie, but I'm going to refer to a quick minute to the Mary Sue, a, a, an article published on the Mary Sue in 2019. And I'm, I'm quoting here. Mary Poppins's modus operandi is that she makes the most peculiar things start to happen around her and then acts like they're not happening. <laughs> she uses the confusion and consternation to do whatever she wants and steamroll everyone around her into her idea of correct behavior. 
She forces her way into a job that makes poor Mr. Banks think he's going nuts. She does blatant magic in front of Jane and Michael and then acts like they're delusional and rude for mentioning it, or worse, that it's a tiresome distraction from whatever errand they're on. It's highly ironic that the sequel has a lamplighter as a main character because this is classic gaslighting. <laughs> Which is... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, without a doubt, without a doubt, completely fair. Yeah, Yeah. it's just you know, it's just there's there's this funny thing, and I I noticed it. Somebody one day, it's like, why does like the autocomplete on Google when you type it when you start typing in is Mary Poppins and like one of the top um the top villain? It's it's, uh not a villain but evil. Why is Mary Poppins evil or is Mary Poppins evil? (laughs) It's it's kind of funny. And it also makes yeah, that's it- fair. I, I think she treats them right. I, I don't know. I think she makes them a bit more well behaved. But yeah, she definitely uh, performs <laughs> some almost mental psychotic abuse towards the 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 guy. Yeah, it makes uh, George Banks go a little loco. Yeah, it's it's funny that she creates like a accidentally creates a run on the bank through Michael later on. But the Girl, her voice though, right? Right. Would you say? Her outstanding voice overpasses all of the uh, evil antics and, and, and acts that she performs. Well, that's the thing is Julie Andrews is so likable. She she's, is. You know, and she has such a lovely voice. It's it's very Pied Piperish. Here's here's another bit from this. Um, she's the worst kind of adult, one who acts, one whose actions are directly contradictory to their words and supposed beliefs. And the poor banks, the poor banks family is lucky that they had a real hero around to bring them some joy and help them learn important lessons. That's right, Bert. Despite Dick Van Dyke's less than great Cockney accent, and Cockney was in quote marks, uh, this jack of all trades is the true heart of Mary Poppins. He's honest with the kids. He's fun. He's hardworking, innovative, and most importantly, he's there to dispense some candid good advice to the Banks family when they need it. When Jane and Michael are upset that their father, who's there to explain to them that Mr. Banks is a slave to the capitalist system, Bert. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Um, th- this kind of post-capitalist, uh, I-, I guess, chaotic evil version of Mary Poppins that um, the Mary Sue author here, Jessica Mason, has has um, analyzed. It's pretty funny. Um, but I mean, that's that's one of the great things about these movies, uh, these fantasy movies in particular, that you can read a lot into them. And it's funny that, you know, 50, oh, geez, actually, it's almost 60 years after Mary Poppins. Next year's the 60th anniversary of Mary Poppins. Um, or the I movie. know there's still you know new analysis we can give about There's it, still right? lots of new analysis. Yeah. yeah. So it's a lot of fun. And and also the songs are, are incredibly snappy. The the songs like and still, they still are and, and the visuals absolutely. Because the individuals <gasps> yes. it's all it's all like drawn, right? It's hand drawn. So it's it's yeah. not dated and I don't think it ever will be. Uh in particular, Dick Van Dyke dancing along with the uh penguins, right? That that yeah. scene. Yeah, so that's it, yeah, the, the animation live action combination works. It still works. Yep. Craftsmanship. Better, better than a lot of uh you know, early gen CGI from, you know, uh, 90s, 2000s. So, yeah, it's craftsmanship. Yeah. You ever watch, you ever watch the 97 Spawn? Speaking of fantasy, you see some of the <laughs> CGI in that? Yes, yes, I have. <laughs> <laughs> Try to block it. All right. What's your number two? Uh, so, number two, um, and a lot of people might not view it as such, but uh, it is tech. It is a fantasy. It is mm-hmm. a romantic fantasy comedy film. Mm. Uh, Nancy Myers, What Woman Want? 
Mm. I am not a huge Mel Gibson fan, and I, I think that's fair. I think, you know, people should maybe not view this just in the sense of, you know, not uh, supporting old Mel Gibson, but uh, <laughs> Helen Hunt in it uh, as Darcy McGuire is She's uh, good. Out- outstanding. She she really is great in it and as an actor all around. Um, and yeah, so it's pretty much just uh, Mel Gibson. He's got a lot of flaws. He's a sexist guy, and um, then he's able to read minds and is able to uh, understand women more, and he's able to use that at first in a bad way and then he learns you know how to use it to understand his his daughter more and he learns he doesn't need that power he just needs to open his ears and it it, it sounds sappy but um it's directed by nancy myers a woman remarkable director and because of that i'll admit the plot's a little sappy but the uh nick marshall mel gibson uh and alex marshall ashley johnson uh his mm-hmm. daughter their relationship in the film is is really well done. It's really great. Uh, I'm not a daughter with a dad, and I myself loved it. So I, I can only imagine how much uh, you know daughters would be able to relate to it and just really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a, a good romantic one uh, as well. He actually uh, he isn't uh, forgiven for being a jerk as opposed to uh, <laughs> yeah. He kind of he's kind of forgiven, but he really goes out of his way to show that he's changed and, and he does it well. Uh, it's not like a, a pity, you know. Uh, Helen Hunt doesn't give him like a pity. I forgive you. It, it's a valid one. It's it, it's a fair one. It's a fair one. Mm, mm-hmm. So uh, not a remarkable film. Uh, I don't know if it deserved uh, you know the near four hundred million uh, that it got, but uh, when it comes to the Mel and Helen Hunt romance uh, and Mel Gibson's relationship with the character's daughter and. Uh, father-daughter all around it, it really is a great film it, it's a lot of fun uh what woman want i would say especially if you're a nancy myers fan uh you should check it out mm-hmm. uh, i also i also um because uh, nancy myers she's been um mentioned a lot in the past couple of uh, days because her next film uh from netflix uh they booted her uh mm-hmm. because they wanted to cut the money by like three quarters even though all of her films have made you know a hundred plus million so i i i'm glad that she left uh I would also point out that much of that money Actually. was going to salaries. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> because it was who was who's in like Amy Adams is one of the people in that, right? Oh yeah, they're like huge stars, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. it's 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 one of the like uh, what's his James L. Brooke when he made um, I don't know. It had Reese Witherspoon, Paul Rudd, Owen Wilson, and Jack Nicholson in it, and it cost like 150 million dollars, and 100 million of that was just the salaries. Yeah, yeah. Well, that makes sense. <laughs> oh, and um, before we we move on, um, unexpected connection between what women want in Dungeons and Dragons. Um, the the daughter in What Women Want, played by Ashley Johnson, who's one of these actresses who's been working since she was like three months old. But uh, she is in a web series called Critical Role, which is oh, uh, right. yep. people playing, sitting around playing Dungeons and Dragons. I I never even uh, put those two together. That's funny. Yeah, yeah. she's great. She's great in the film. Yeah, yeah it's, it's she's a good. good start to your career. She's fun. Um, all right, so my second pick. Got to get my where's my list. All right, I'll I'll choose the one of mine that kind of. Uh, it kind of flirts the with with the the line of what is fantasy and what is kind of like another genre. Um, it's called City of Ember. It's directed by Gil Keane. 
And it's about uh, this city that's under the earth. There's been some kind of catastrophe. And um, it's called the city is called Ember. And it's kind of like a steampunk city. Um, it's very um, modeled on the steampunk aesthetic. Um, but it follows two kids, um, Lena and Dune. Not Doom. It's Dune with an N. And uh, they're old enough that they have, uh, they're transitioning from school to adult working life. The city works with essentially when you get to the end of high school, you draw a job from uh, like a bingo thing. And then that's going to be the job for your job for the rest of your life. And so Dune draws the job of like a mechanic or repairman. And um, so through the course of the movie, he discovers that Ember is falling apart and uh he and his friend lena who i think she's like some kind of like if i remember she she does some kind of like traffic cop thing uh, and that's kind of her job she accidentally discovers that the mayor has been hoarding food and supplies mm -hmm. the mayor is played by bill murray so uh <laughs> you get some great bill murrayisms in this um and and they end up uh discovering that a path has been opened that will lead them out of ember and then back to the surface um that this was always the intent. Ember wasn't meant to last forever. It was the, the people were supposed to stay underground until it was safe to go back to the surface, except that was long forgotten. And so they go through this quest to find the route through the various pipes and things and trunks and, and uh, to get from Ember to the surface. And along the way, there are valuable lessons about um, not trusting adults and not trusting systems that have been in place. And it, it's, it's a very youthful adventure. Uh, because you get to follow young people. Cersei Rowan was one of the was Lena and Harry Treadway was Dune. And then they have a little baby with them as well. Lena's little, I think her little sister, if I remember correctly. Um, but you also get Tim Robbins and Martin Landau, late great Martin Landau in the film as well. And, you know, it's a it's a lesson about um, I guess, you know, it it uh, catastrophizing and uh environmentalism, because I mean it's never explained what the the cataclysm was it forced everybody underground, but you can assume any number of things um, that affected the environment since they had to go underground. But yeah, it's just a lot of fun. It's uh, short. It's tight 90 minutes or 95 minutes. And um, the kids are great. The design is great. And um, it follows kind of all the same hallmarks of a fantasy movie because there's a quest involved and there's secret maps and secret things. And they're got to decode decode clues and things so uh it, it's very very fun and it's got really great message at its heart too and um tragic like almost criminally overlooked because this was like during the ya boom in the late odds i so, i yeah i'm not going to lie i feel bad but i hadn't really heard about it until you you're discussing it now so yeah well, i definitely did not get the credit it deserved or at least that you're arguing it deserved Yes, no, I, I think it deserves a lot of credit. I think a lot of critics kind of brush it off because it comes out at the wave of like the Spiderwick Chronicles and um, the Golden Compass when they tried to turn, you know, the Dark Materials trilogy into a franchise and things like that. It, it's it's good. And Gil Keane, um, a lot of people probably know him best as working with Jason Reitman on the new latest Ghostbuster movie. Um, but he also did Monster House, which is another great um, underrated. Uh, that's why very, under, very underrated. Yeah, I I view it more as a horror. Otherwise, than I would have maybe put it on this list. Yeah, actually, I, I think it is. Theaters, yeah, it's great. I think it is more of a horror. But yeah, anyway, um, City of Ember is you can get that on on just about any of the streaming platforms too. Um, 
you can also get what woman want on stream on uh for rent it's not streaming anywhere unfortunately mary poppins of course is streaming on disney plus um <laughs> it should that that's pretty easy to figure out um yeah <laughs> so that gets us to our number three pick so peter what's your number three okay so i picked more of a independent one for this uh mm-hmm. i went with the juniper tree uh, a 1990 Icelandic medieval fantasy uh, directed by, um, she's passed away, a remarkable Icelandic director, uh, uh, Nietzsche Kakin. Uh, and it's the very first film to star Bjork uh, in mm-hmm. her first uh, role in media. Um, and it's just like the kind of film that's it's perfect for me. There's, there's great dialogue, but the focus on the amazing visuals, uh, the empty yet somehow beautiful because of the colors a lot of of greens in iceland um and a lot of beautiful moss and stone but but uh empty you know it's like a more green beautiful nevada or something and it's really uh, uh displayed well in this mm-hmm. um and even though dialogue isn't the best in it by which i mean it's the visuals it really is uh and the music in particular that um uh, goes along with that it's uh funnily enough is not not by bjork at all it's by another uh, larry lipkus uh a remarkable icelandic uh composer and it's a lot of very minimal oral uh music very uh almost scary surreal um but anyways where i was going with that is despite <laughs> all of that being amazing and what i i do truly love the most uh bjork is great and it, the dialogue is awesome um she has um uh, there's the one little little blonde boy in it, uh, and he just hates on witches the whole film, and he does it well. I, I disagree <laughs> with his viewpoint, but he does a really great job playing a a, a little brat. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also is because uh, a lot of it did go on in uh, Iceland, uh, Iceland and Ireland. Um, it's a good look at at, at uh, witchcraft or or what people viewed as it and uh, the uh executions performed uh through it and uh its connection to uh sexism mm. um yeah and it's just uh like i discussed in what we want to it's also it's just a great um uh not a father daughter but two sisters and mm. uh, them dealing with that and the sexism of medieval ages all around mm. um so yeah, mainly for visuals and music but also just a great film all around uh the juniper tree 1990 Icelandic. Uh, oh, also, and something very important uh, mm-hmm. wouldn't surprise me if one of the other ones one of us mentioned is it's based on uh, Brothers Grimm fairy tale, uh, the Juniper mm-hmm. Tree. Uh, like ninety percent of fantasies are based on their work, right? And this one is is uh, it's Icelandic, uh, very surreal. So it's very close to the original Brothers Grimm content, <laughs> which mm-hmm. which I, any Brothers Grimm fans would know that means you know it's a little dark, but it's great. Yeah, mm-hmm. Juniper Tree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the juniper tree is also known as the almond tree. Uh, I guess depending on on which version you've heard. Unfortunately, it's not um, streaming anywhere at the moment, or at least nowhere obvious. Sometimes, oh, and it's not it's not through Criterion. I, I do know. I I think it's like the British Film Academy or whatever. It, mm. It's. There's just somewhere it's it's available to be streamed. I, I don't know, but uh, mm. yeah, it's not as easy as the other ones we've discussed, unfortunately. 
Yeah, I'm sure you can probably dig it up somewhere. It's um, just nowhere obvious, like I said. Um, just, you know, another reminder, everyone, to hashtag long live physical media. Yeah, exactly. I would, yeah, it would probably be at maybe some used DVD stores. Yeah. Like Thomas Video. <laughs> or Beat Goes On. Beat Goes On is still. Yeah, there you go. Beat Goes On. Beat Goes On. Um, all right. So my last pick is uh, Edward Scissorhands. Um, it is a personal favorite of mine, uh, but it is it is up and down like a real a fairy tale, like, you know, like Juniper Tree. Uh, it is an original fairy tale, though. It's about love and uh, loss and heartache and um, how, you know, things cannot be even if they feel natural, even if, um, you know, or things that are unnatural and you know, it, it seems to be a gift, but maybe it's a curse. Edward Scissorhands. It's never fully explained how the inventor created Edward Scissorhands, that he's um, some sort of mech creature, but at the same time, it's he's um, a, a living person with just scissors for his hands. So it's, That's the beauty of fantasy, right? Uh, explanation <laughs> isn't really needed. Yeah, yeah, it's just the 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 inventor has this like cookie-making machine, and then he decides he's going to make uh, a person... And uh, the result is Edward Scissorhands, who the, the inventor, of course, you find out later, dies just before he's meant to replace the scissors on Edward's hands with actual hands. And he's adopted into this family who take him into their lovely California suburb, or he kind of thrives for a while doing elaborate hair designs and elaborate hedge work. And at Christmas, he's carving ice. Um, but of course, he's tragically misunderstood because... Uh, he has scissors for hands and through a series of misunderstandings um but it's it's a, a beautiful film still it's um it, it really captures sort of the sense of the, the the director's own inner anxieties about feeling like a freak growing up in suburbia of course that's tim burton um johnny depp of course like mel gibson is kind of a problematic figure now but um yeah i would say to the well, I, I guess, yeah, yeah. No, you're right. You're right. Go on. But I'm just—I was about to say, like, because he's because he kind of this is the point in his career where he's like deeply resentful of his good looks, and so he's trying to ugly himself up at every opportunity. And and Edward is is kind of a, an ultimate expression of that of you know the sexiest man alive going, mm-hmm. you know, becoming a creature because he he can't stand his his own attractiveness, but um. It's so heartbreaking in the end because it's it's also very much set up like a fairy tale because this book ended with this narration and you realize at the end that the old woman telling her granddaughter this story is old Kim, the the Winona Ryder character. Of course, maybe it's not. It's much less unobvious now because uh, <laughs> once you kind of uh, have had Winona Ryder in your life as a as a presence, but um, it's it's. It's touching. It's still touching. It still brings a little tear to your eye at the end. That you know she, when she says that uh, he she knows Edward is still is still alive up on the castle because of it snows every Christmas because he's up there carving ice sculptures still, and uh, it's really beautiful and touching and heartwarming and heartbreaking and it's everything a good fairy tale should be. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And I actually, uh, I think a labyrinth, uh, a never-ending story kind of in its own way, mm. um, it, it, it's a story being told, right? And mm. I think why that's so great with fantasy 
is because that's what a fantasy is. It's a story that's told and, and passed along, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, maybe a little sappy, but at the same time, uh, really works well for, for a fantasy. It's, it's, it's the natural kind of sappiness that I think might be required for a fantasy. <laughs> it's natural sap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, and these things run the gamut too. You know, one of the, one of the uh, honorable mentions on my list was like Excalibur, which is probably the ultimate movie expression of the the King Arthur legend. Um, I mean, it seems like a King Arthur movie still at this point. There's a new one that comes out every couple of years or so, and and they they all have kind of their merits, but there's kind of like one that is able to like check all the boxes in terms of like the character notes and the 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 portrayals and and you know the the various aspects it, it seems to cover all the bases from you know the the guinevere lancelot affair to searching for the holy grail to mordred and 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 morgana and and mm-hmm. all of that it's um excalibur is worth revisiting too i think but. oh yeah absolutely i remember seeing it when i was uh quite young maybe too young because i think there's the one uh, probably a semi-nude scene yeah but yeah, uh there's it's, it's i remember it being great that might be partially some of the reason but all around <laughs> it was i remember <laughs> i remember the fights too were cool yeah the fights are cool and the effects yeah. are good and yeah um definitely not for the young crowd but uh hey sometimes stuff happens anyway uh now for something completely different we're going to take a break and then come back with our review this week of dungeons and dragons honor among thieves you are listening to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. If not, then I guess it is cool. Just keep to yourself in the vibe by the pool, right? Okay, Simon, how does this work? All right, once the dead man is revived, we can ask him five questions, at which point he will die again, mm-hmm. never to be re-revived. Why five questions? I don't know, that's just how it works. It seems arbitrary. Can we get on with this, please? Right, yes. Perlamon Tergatis. Maybe I'm not saying it right. <laughs> I wasn't scared, nearly startled. Here we go. Were you killed in the Battle of the Everhorse? Yes. Great. I mean, uh, not for you. Sorry for your loss. Four more questions, right? Yes. No, 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 that, w- that wasn't for you. Did that count as a question? Yes. Damn it. Only answer when I talk to you, okay? Yes. Why did you say okay at the end of that? I didn't. Fantastic. Where's the shovel? Okay, so that was a clip from Dungeons and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves. It's the new film from directors Jonathan Goldstein and John Francis Daly, and it stars Chris Pine, Michelle Rodriguez, 
uh, Reggae Jean Page, Justice Smith, Sophie Lillis, Chloe Coleman, Daisy Head, and Hugh Grant. Um, honestly, this did not make my must-see list this year. Uh, I Dungeons & Dragons is one of the few areas of nerdery I've never really attach myself to like actually any role-playing game for that matter role-playing games and anime are kind of my two blind spots when it comes to nerdy stuff um but uh i gotta say dungeons and dragons honor among thieves good fantasy movie uh <laughs> heck of a good fantasy movie yes uh, i want to say even though i haven't played an in-person uh dungeons and dragons Mm. Um, I have, when it comes to video gaming, played an exceptional amount of uh, Baldur's Gate and uh, Dark Alliance 1 and 2, which is part of the same uh, universe from the same writings. Mm. So I have a, a pinch of Dungeon & Dragon related knowledge. Yeah. I see. Uh, Interesting. I was going to yeah. ask you about that. But I uh, I still myself wasn't expecting much, um, but it, it, it absolutely uh, paid off. Um, mm. I'm also as a Freaksy Geeks fan, I'm a John Francis Daly fan, right? Mm-hmm. And I just, I literally, uh, until the film's released, I forget that it's him, that it's him. <laughs> and it's a little, little old Sam from Freaks and Geeks who's directed these 150 million budget films, right? That are making near, <laughs> near a billion. Um, but he did a heck of a good job. Um, yeah. Uh, what really uh, pulled me towards it, even though, like I said, I have uh, engaged in some Dungeons and Dragons uh, games and so forth. Um, I thought the casting for this was remarkable. I thought I love Chris mm-hmm. Pine, but uh, I I didn't expect to see Michelle Rodriguez as a co-star in something not related to Fast and Furious or or just something of a more uh, car related or violent action <laughs> sort of film. So I, I was I really like her. Uh, Lost and even Fast and the Furious. Uh, Girls fight remarkable. Her her first her debut. Uh, so I, it was it was pleasantly surprised to see her as as uh, not just a supporting but like main main. She's I would say the you know second in line. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Reggie Jean Page as well. Um, I haven't seen Bridgerton, but you know I saw his face everywhere because of it. Um, <laughs> so I wasn't expecting much from him. Uh, opposed you know aside from his looks his, his wonderful looks uh but he did a great job too with his acting i found his character to be one of the most surprisingly comedic uh a, a really good um a way for uh to get some crisp pine lines to, to bounce off of him they were a great yeah. duo um, yeah so yeah no no pleasantly surprised with dungeons and dragons absolutely yeah the casting is um the, the casting is is great in this um, and I like that everyone kind of it doesn't it doesn't make a big deal about of how it's based on a role playing game, but there are little things in it that remind you that it's based on a role playing game. And the casting is a big part of it and that everybody's sort of like playing their roles and they never deviate like there's never like some big heroic scene for the Chris Pine character where he draws his sword and fights like he's the planner. He plans and uh, his thing is that he has the only device he ever uses is, is his loot. And there's a scene where <laughs> they, they've been captured and they escape and then they go into this room where they have all their gear and he grabs his loot and puts his loot back on because that's his that's his little device <laughs> that he has. But there's never a thing where you like, here's your magic sword, go out and, and slay, which, you know, is it's so easy in some of these movies to just sort of like 
because to the, be a game you, itself pretty much a, a game right. that you're just like a twitch video you're just watching a video game and no this did a really great job of uh focusing on just having a really great plot set in the same universe as yeah the board games dungeons and dragons yeah um, so you get michelle rodriguez who's the heavy she's the berserker um you know she does the fighting you get justice smith and you know justice smith plays these kind of nebbish characters and you get a bit of that here but there's an arc for him in terms of like getting self-confidence and self-esteem um and he, of course you know, like hugh grant is playing you know uh, this kind of rogue <laughs> who's yes. betrayed his friends which is not an unusual role for hugh grant he's always playing well not always but he's usually playing someone who is um morally gray and he's honestly uh, playing that like the kind of person who like when playing dungeons and dragons is just like a typical hugh grant <laughs> just having fun right. just being being a dink you know just <laughs> whatever i think i think what's so funny about hugh grant's character who's like annoying he's an annoying villain right mm -hmm. the the hate he got uh, before the Oscars, his one cringy interview oh, actually yeah, yeah, yeah. helps make this character better because <laughs> he's you're supposed to dislike him, you're supposed to find him annoying, right? So it, <laughs> I found it actually uh, paid off well the the uh, his Oscars news and the focus he got. Um, a very good villain, very good villain, good like yeah. uh, sidekick villain sidekick. I would say the the actual villain herself was was yeah really great, but more uh, a classic, just evil yeah i think the villains are, are kind of where it's light in this or, or where if there's like a I, I'm, I'm not gonna say it's it was like a problem but it, it does kind of suffer that marvel issue where it's like we, we've done such a good job in like building the team and building the heroes that the villains feel like secondary so you know it's hugh grant who's like the this part of their their thieving crew who has betrayed them and and he's aligned with uh obviously a typical dark wizard um and it all ends with like stuff coming down from the sky and and cg gobbledygook and i mean and although that's fine i mean that's sort of pro forma but um the the, the real good stuff in the movie is when it's the core group the the main four characters who are questing and it, and that's what it's like playing the game too right, right? yes it's about yeah. the journey not the like just fight at the end if you even get to one right not every game's gonna have a a big old boss fight at the end well that's um, the thing is like i was so watching that might actually be purposeful in, in a strange way not having the villain and, and antagonist versus protagonist be a, a heavy focus <laughs> well that's the, that's the that's the thing about this there are like moments where they're kind of like wandering around the countryside and like going from point a to do task x and i'm just like oh this is kind of and then, and then it kind of done to me it's like oh they're doing what the game does where you run around and you get the thing and there's this brilliant scene well not brilliant but it, it it was it worked really really well and everyone in the audience uh that i was i was watching the movie with laughed at it is um when reggae jean uh john page he, he's his character is explaining how they need to get across this bridge and there's a certain sequence of steps that they have to take in order to get across the bridge and it, it's it's very much like one of these dungeon master scenes where someone has meticulously thought out how to accomplish this one task and then the justice smith character steps puts one step on the bridge and the whole thing falls apart i know and his character is funny because he's so good like that but he's got so much doubt right and not enough mm -hmm. confidence and it's really interesting um and since you brought up him i did want to say um mm -hmm. to anybody who likes dnd and going to see the film he himself, his character, Simon Omer, is a half 
uh, descendant of Elminister Amer. Who's a thing. Who is yeah. a char- he's a real thing in the Dungeons and Dragons, mm-hmm. uh, which is very cool. And uh, Sophia Lillis uh, is a typhling druid. Uh, mm-hmm. Druid is uh, like an, a nature sort of elf. So there's small little sprinkles of uh, the actual real uh, uh, Dungeons and Dragons lore uh, within the film, you know? So so I think a lot of uh, fans will definitely get somewhat some of what they want in that sense some but it doesn't uh, it doesn't overdo it though which is what i like no 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 it's, absolutely not it's subtle it's just a part of the characters it's, it's not just, the it, main it, focus no it doesn't make the mistake that a lot of what these movies do which is to have a character basically sit you as the audience member down and explain the world and all the intricacies of the world In in this movie you have cat people living next to humans who are living next to bird people who are living next to dwarves who are living next to these other folk and magics all around. Mm-hmm. And that's just the world. You either, oh, yeah. you either go with the cat people or you don't. <laughs> no one has to sit down and like, Oh, that's the cat people of, I don't know. I don't know. Xandar theorem. And you know, I don't know if that's a real place. I don't think it is in Dungeons and Dragons, but you know, they have this history and that's, that's why we have this cat person living here. It's there's none of that. It's just, here's a cat person and we're yeah, moving fantasy. on. You don't need to explain all that. Exactly. <laughs> and I really liked how, cause they were just kind of venturing about how many different uh, areas of land, like landscapes there were, how many different environments and cities and, and different animals uh, you know, there was like jungles, a mm. little bit, some dunes, some more Renaissance type little villages. Uh, mm. I was really, really impressed with all of that. Yeah, I like the world building a lot, and um, and this is the creatures. The the creatures are the very creatures are really cute, cute and evil. The the dragon is one of my favorites. The the overweight dragon. <laughs> the overweight dragon is such yeah. a it's such a neat touch. Yeah, um, very, very well done. Very well done. Because you're also caring for the characters. You don't want them to get killed by it. But it's it's funny at the mm-hmm. same time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It does. The movie does a great job of, um, of you know, making all of these. I mean, this. I think this is also to the credit of just the casting. I you know. Chris Pine has played the lovable rogue um, before, so he fits that very, very easily. So you just kind of go with it. Michelle Rodriguez has played the heavy in like everything from Resident Evil to Fast and Furious and, and Avatar. So she wears that very yeah, well. Yeah, perfect barbarian. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And so it's, but I mean, there's also like a real kind of. Well, it's kind of a cool, interesting modern look at like. A surrogate mom, or like a mom that adopts, and how? Well, that's what I like, mean. Is that it's it, they do let her lampshade a lot of that personality a little. That mm-hmm. this like I'm I'm the cool badass chick kind of persona that she has. It, it she and she also has like a lot of the humor in the movie too. She has a lot of really great one liners. Um, well, she's some, really great. Yeah, calling out Chris Pine's character for his flaws yeah, and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's they have a really great camaraderie, which I enjoyed. Yeah, but not uh, not romantic, which is good. There's nothing like that up in your face, you know. It's it, it doesn't yeah. draw away from the fantasy. Um, the only thing close is um, Justice Smith and Sophia Lillis, but even that's done in like a fun way and not uh, the main focus for either characters. Because romance is cool, but it it really this one it was not the focus. It didn't need to be. Um, it was just a fun time, you know, just a really great adventure. Yeah, the romances with the the dead yeah. wife and uh, a woman in a fantasy doesn't need to be like the romantic part. That can be another issue, and why I'm glad that they purposely uh, didn't make it as such for this film. Yes, it's very easy to go from 
having like a romantic element to having like a damsel in distress element exactly so exactly yeah yeah it's um this isn't that um th- and this is kind of like a very interesting approach I'd, uh, in terms of like setting it it's it's not like it's not taking like the lord of the rings approach where this is like world i mean there is kind of like a bit of world ending doom catastrophe in there but it's it's not like these are kings and versus other kings versus lords versus wizard grandmasters and and all of that stuff it 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 grounds it very very well having this like these are like kind of like robin hoodish thieves um they yeah you can relate to them as just like a regular human they're just yeah they're just regular folk trying to make their way in this world and have mm-hmm. you know found themselves you know they're, they're trying to get back at this guy who who is stolen from them the the hugh grant character but he, it just ends up that things are so much kind of bigger than they anticipated and and this is i'm i'm very kind of because I remember watching the trailer for this. Uh, I think it came out last summer during Comic Con or one of those things, and I, and you know it just it just seemed it seemed it's a mad. little too cute, a little too jokey, and I was I was not impressed at all. So I was I was ready to not like this movie, and then I started seeing some of the reviews come out last week. And I mean, the, the things like for some strange reason, a lot of the social media advertising focused on the whole owl bear thing. And I was like, oh, owl bear, that's kind of funny, I guess. But when you get into a movie and you see the owl bear at work, it's <laughs> it's so great. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I just find this kind of extraordinary that um, the marketing for this thing kind of made you kind of made me hate it and dread it. But then you get into this and it's kind of like you get into the movie and you watch the movie and it's it works like the chemistry works the jokes work the world building works yeah it's a great fan it reminded me of why oh yeah this is why i really enjoy fantasies you know because they're not as heavy uh, as they used to be so well it's, it's the approach too it's just like we're dropping you in this world you recognize these characters we're gonna have a fun time we're gonna have a fun adventure and then you're gonna go home yeah and, exactly and it's like it's it's really pretty elegant in that simplicity and i think that's to the credit of of jonathan and john um who have sort of built um this uh, a career on sort of undermining these expectations i mean they also did game night which is amazing um honestly <laughs> even like for me and if you've watched like other comedies in the mid 2000s vacation's not that bad it really is yeah it, yeah it, it got sandbagged there's so much there's so much worse especially looking back like i said the same like, era like mid-2000s better than the average uh i would say vacation got sandbagged by legacy sequels um blowback against those and um a renewed wave of chevy chase hate it's, yeah it, yeah, exactly but uh, no just just uh like you said um a game night did also just get great reviews and uh, yeah. you know they're the main writers for the spider-man and everything so uh it shouldn't have surprised me how great dungeons and dragons was but it, it did even with uh, the knowledge of how talented john francis daly uh was mm-hmm. yeah. do you have any relationship with the other dungeons and dragons movie the one from 2000 no, jeremy no i have not i have not seen it I, li- I like jeremy irons and i know he's in it but that's about it i i also know i'm aware that there was two directed dvds after because it was supposed to be a trilogy so yes you know. there was i mean the story is yeah. fascinating 
about how that got made because it was like this guy Courtney Solomon who had never made a movie before um and he like went to Wizards of the Coast or whatever the company was called at the time and he like literally like talked them into he wrote like a 30 page treatment and then literally talked Wizards of the Coast into like giving him the rights and then it took him another 10 years to make that movie which is m- <laughs> mostly known for uh jeremy iron ser- scenery chewing and saying lines of dialogue like and i quote let their blood rain from the sky i've heard it's, it's pretty bad it starts jeremy irons thorna birch marlon wayans and the second jimmy olsen from lois and clark the new adventures of superman oh my goodness yeah. i also it only made like 40 million so like the the one just like within his first weekend, the one we're reviewing already made like <laughs> almost doubles. So. Yeah, yeah, so. it's just it's it's fascinating. Um, it's it's fast it's fascinating. Just you know the the course of this because Dungeons and Dragons is such a branch, and I I don't know how much of this of the the inability to get something going on this is like carried over from all the like the years in the eighties where people thought it was like a gateway drug to Satanism. But I mean that's one of the options we had for this week is uh was the the apple plus movie about tetris mm-hmm. and i wonder the, the if... true devil right there <laughs> it is a it is a time suck to be sure um i do wonder if there isn't something um behind like a, a tetris like story about dungeons and dragons where it's a, about like the satanic panic and how parents were you know searching their kids bedrooms for source books and <laughs> yes that would be well i'm very curious uh, about the yeah person who made it it'd be very very cool very very yeah. cool i would I'd i also think it's that. i think it's like the exact same the uh guy who made it is the guy who made um yeah like dungeons and dragons is the same guy who made uh cyberpunk like the more recent video game so he's Isn't actually right? still he's yeah he's still very prominent so it'd be cool if uh I, I think he definitely deserves a biopic. That'd be that'd be interesting. <laughs> Very interesting. <laughs> Getting back to the Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves, though, I I, I do we've, we've talked a lot about the the cast um and the story. I, I do also want to give credit to the action scenes because there are Oh like, absolutely. Well, like we were saying, the creatures. Like the, the creatures, combat with yeah. the creatures was amazing as well. Yeah, no. The combat with the creatures the combat in general. But there's the once the one thing that the one scene that I really went to, left with me was um, when the druid character who can become an animal she becomes a fly in order to spy on what's going on in the castle and there's this whole sequence where she escapes as the fly um, turns into a mouse runs through the halls uh, ev- ev- evades the guards. It goes out the window of the castle, turns into a bird, and it's just kind of all done in like one shot, like kind of one continuous shot. It's like and- the one that, uh, kind of uh, bird or or more like a fairy um, that Gandalf uses to send a message in uh, Lord of the Rings. It's a lot like that, uh, mm-hmm. a very like classic fantasy message mm-hmm. through some sort I- of bird. Right. The way it was shot. Back to medieval though- pigeons. Right. It was. It was right. cool. And the follows it, along with it, right? It, it feels very real. The, the way it was shot, though, was really impressive, and uh, like it, I think it really kind of raised some of the action stakes for this movie, which again tend to focus on like armies and how many soldiers and orcs or whatever you can create. Uh, the, the action in this movie feels very real, 
which I appreciated. It's a lot of like sword play. And I mean, yeah, there are spells and things and, and creatures, but um, it, it all feels kind of very malleable, very tangible, very down to earth. And so, uh, you know, you really do get invested in the characters and, and the action and the stakes. And um, there, there's some real, and there's some real ingenious stuff with, the way they they use the action in the movie too, like the the maze sequence at the end was a lot of fun too. Um, oh, just and- the very like final shots of mm-hmm. the I think it's in a prison. It's uh, a <laughs> lot like the. It, I don't want to say like, but it it it's it goes from the cell that you see, and then the mm-hmm. camera lifts all the way up to the very top and out of the tower, right? Mm-hmm. And then it immediately beautifully shifts right into the credits and it's just yeah it was really well done the the structures the structures themselves were yeah which matters a lot in fantasy and uh medieval yeah there's there's a surprising amount of care and artistry here and and you know the things from the script uh come out like the whole thing with the the deer when they're talking about like sending a deer into the castle and the last form that the druid takes as she's (laughs) escaping from the castle is that deer it's like there's a lot of really great payoff like that um and i i enjoyed just how carefully um the johns i'm gonna call them the johns from now on um we're, we're they able should, to, honestly, or something like that they should yeah uh <laughs> radio silence is taken but um the it just it, it is great the care and dedication they showed to creating something that isn't just they could have just slapped dungeons and dragons on on something run in the mill but you get i think you get something fairly unique uh, and different, and also something very familiar. I think there's a lot of really great callbacks to not just Dungeons and Dragons, but a lot of like really great 80s fantasy movies. Like this thing has a real voice to it, and, and that's hard to do. And with a lot of these big budget fantasy spectacle movies, oh, just like to, to uh, homage to like fantasies all around, right? Like the whole dragon scene we're talking about is very mm. much like The Hobbit, you know? Yeah, so. that's right. Yeah, yeah, no, so. Good job, Johns, on uh, making Dungeons and Dragons something I care about. So I am impressed. Uh, yeah, me too. I would, I would highly uh, recommend it. Go- in, yeah, theaters, no, would... in theaters in particular, I in think theaters, eventually yeah. uh, video on demand, but the uh, visuals are, are outstanding. You guys well, see that it, on the big screen. It, it'll be on video on Good demand in, in three weeks. So, <laughs> But see it in the theater if you can. Um that's it for this week's show. We hope you liked it. You can stay connected to us at our website and creditsradioshow.com. You can also download the show on the Guelph Politicast channel every Friday at Podbean or through your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. And when you're on Spotify, you can find the playlist for much of the music that you hear on End Credits. Just open up Spotify and search for End Credits on CFRU. You can find us on social media on Facebook at End Credits Radio Show and on Twitter at End Credits Radio. And Peter, where can people find you out there on the internet? Uh, on YouTube and Twitter as Mr. Towerack. All okay. of y'all. <laughs> if you haven't already. No, um, I'll be back here on CFRU Thursday at 5 p.m. for News and Politics on Open Sources Guelph with Scotty Hertz. In the meantime, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, or you can check out my News and Politics site at Guelph Politico. And finally, stay tuned for more great programming here on CFRU, 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We will, of course, be back here Wednesday at 3 p.m. for another edition of End Credits, and we will see you then.